Have you ever noticed how so much of the news is bad news today? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, whether you're watching the nightly news or reading the morning newspaper, it just seems like the news is consumed full of bad stories. With exception, though, I don't know if you saw the Noblesville Times this past Monday. If you pick that up often, there's a picture of a group of people from Genesis Church uh, right on the front. Last Saturday, we had 45 people come and pack toiletry bags uh, full of just some useful things like soaps and shampoos, things that are so easily taken for granted. Uh, But because of so many people in need right now in the Hamilton County area, uh, we had a group of people come and pack over 3,000 toiletry packs Uh, Last Saturday and all those are being sent out now to shelters and places where they can be put to use So thanks to that connection group and for all of you that came to be a part of that This is the exception that that's a great story and a story that we're excited about But uh, there are exceptions but the majority of the news majority of the stuff at times that, that makes it into the newspaper Just appears to be bad news you know, bad stuff that, that's going on in and around the community, around the country, especially in the headlines. And, and I think that it's impossible to read the news today, uh, to look at the newspaper and not realize that something has gone wrong. Like something has fundamentally gone wrong in, in our country or in our world. I mean, just take any newspaper edition, for example. I've got a copy here of USA Today and uh, turn here to uh, page six. Uh, just four different stories. We want millions out of work you know, in the United States. And some of you have felt that right in your own home. Uh, You know, family and friends that have lost work. I mean, that's right here in Hamilton County, throughout the state of Indiana, around the country. Millions of people out of work. Bad news. Uh, FBI tackling rising number of Haiti relief scams. Uh, It just seems to be kind of the new trend. Every time there's a need, every time there's a big ask for money, there are people that step in that intend to manipulate uh, what could be a great response and take that money and do things uh, in other places. Uh, Another story about Haiti, new amputees worry about hard life ahead. You know, I mean, it's not enough that life in Haiti can be pretty difficult and pretty complicated, but now take what's happened. Add to that, you know, that you're now an amputee. I mean, it's one thing probably to live as an amputee in the United States of America and challenging enough, but but do that in a place like Haiti. Uh, Cleric says suspect in failed bombing, you know, was his student. You know, we don't have to go far. You know, you just pick up the news. No matter how much good news is present there, there's always enough bad news that uh, makes it impossible to deny the fact that something has gone fundamentally wrong in the world. We're continuing our series today, the series that we are calling The Story of Everything. We're talking about what we believe as a church, uh, what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. If you missed last week's message, I'd like to encourage you to go to our website and have a listen so you can catch up with us. But last week, we said that what we believe is not just a series of theological propositions or statements to be memorized, you know, and recited like a pledge or a creed or something. That's not what the, what we believe are all about. But what we believe, you know, what we believe is the story of everything is God's word. These are God's promises to us. This is God's truth. I believe this book to be, you know, without error, uh, infallible, you know, that this book is truthful. This is our source. This is the story of everything. And the great part is that you and I have a part in the story. 
All right, this book is about us, but the book has a main character. The story of everything, the story of the life that we're living here on earth has a main character. And that main character is God, that God is our mysterious main character. If you were here last week, we spent some time, just a little bit of time, talking about the doctrine of God. And I know that you all got it because of how dynamic of a teacher I was that in five minutes I could explain the concept of the Trinity to you because people have been talking about it for thousands and thousands of years. But, uh, you know, we believe that God uh, is the beginning of all things, that God is the creator of all things, that that he, he is Elohim, that he is the Father, that God is the Son, and that God is the Spirit. These are three separate persons that are God. They are three individual persons, and each person is fully God, but they are one God. As Deuteronomy says, we serve one God. We don't serve multiple gods. We serve one God. God is three in one. He is one in three. It's a little confusing. It's a little complicated. But what we want to see is that God is relational to the core, that God is this community of oneness. We believe that God is love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it, doesn't, it, it says that, that, that it doesn't say that God is trying to love, that God wants to love, but that God is love, that he created us out of that love, that he created all things out of this love. Love is who God is. And the world was made as an outpouring of this love. The world came from this community. The world came from this relationship. You and I came from this relationship, and that's how our story began. But the question really is then, if God is love, and that's how the story we began, if that's, if that's the world that we were made out of, uh, if, the, if the world was made out of that love, then what went wrong? What went wrong with the story you know, of everything? What went wrong here in this picture where we have a God of love who is perfect? What went wrong with the story? And, and that's where we land today. And in this next chapter of sorts, in this story of everything, uh, we're we're going to discover that, that God is the main character. He is, he is a God of love. He created out of love. He created you and me and the rest of the world out of this love. But not long after he created all things, something went wrong with the story. Now, speaking of stories, speaking of, of great stories, we can all agree that every great story has a villain, right? Every great story has a villain. I mean, think of some of the all-time great villains, uh, in The Wizard of Oz, we get the Wicked Witch, you know, and, and her famous line, you know, I'll get you, my pretty, and, and your dog, too. Or, or, or how about another famous villain in the movie Star Wars, Darth Vader, okay, all-time, you know, great villain, you know, Luke, come to the dark side, you know, I am, I am your father. Uh, the NFL even has a great villain. Uh, the NFL's great villain, Bill Belichick, <laughs> all right, you know. He'll be sitting at home watching a game on TV today, you know, the great villain of the NFL, Bill Belichick. Every great story has a great villain. And each of these great stories tells the story of an evil power infiltrating the world. Well, in the story of everything, in the story of the Bible, in the story of all things, despite, excuse me, I don't know where that came from, despite what you and I have been told, this evil villain is not a person. It's a word. It's a word that describes a force, a problem, a pattern. You know, this word is an evil that has brought conflict and chaos to our world beyond our wildest dreams. And the story of everything, the thing that has caused everything to go wrong with the world is sin. Sin is the great villain in the story of everything. 
Now, if you want to have any chance at all of understanding the, the story of everything and, and God's role and our role in all of it and what's happened, we have to understand the story of sin. And the best thing to keep in mind is that sin is the problem. You know, last, last week we really talked about the fact that God is love, all right, that, that he loves you. I mean, that's at the very heart of who God is. It's, a, it's, a, it's love, that his great motivation, this great plan of rescue and sending Jesus is motivated out of love. That's who God is. But today I want you to see that sin is the problem. Sin is the problem in my life and in your life. It's the problem in the world today. Sin is the problem. It, it, it prevents us from achieving the reality that God wanted, this reality of, of wholeness, of harmony, of perfection, of love. Sin became the problem in the story of everything. Now, if you were asked, who is it that brought sin into the world? You know, most of us would probably respond and say, oh, it was the devil or it was the serpent. You know, it was Satan. It's not the case. I mean, the truth is that Satan didn't bring sin into the world. The correct answer is that Adam and Eve were responsible for bringing sin into the world. Adam and Eve, humans like you and me, are responsible for bringing sin into the world. Now, we may like to think that the story of sin is that Adam and Eve just simply broke the rules. All right, I, we've got rules in our home. You probably have rules in your home or, or in your work. And so Adam and Eve, they just broke the rules. You know, and so they got booted out of the country club and uh, we've all been suffering the beat down as a result of their breaking the rules in the Garden of Eden. But, but that, that's not the case. If we think that sin is only about breaking rules and regulations, we miss the true drama and the tragedy of this entire chapter of this part of the story. Because if you're taking notes, here it is. The story of sin isn't so much about regulations. It's about a broken relationship. The story of sin isn't so much about broken regulations. The story of sin is about broken relationships. It's about relationships that are broken, damaged, and destroyed. Now, before sin, every relationship in the Garden of Eden was good. It was perfect. It was right. It was harmonious. I mean, it was just the way that God meant for it to be. I mean, you had this relationship between God and, and Adam and Eve, and the Bible tells us that it was good. You had this relationship between Adam and Eve, and the Bible says that it was good. You had a relationship between Adam and Eve and the rest of the world, and the Bible tells us that it was good, that each was perfect, each was right, each relationship was whole. It was exactly as God had planned. But then something went wrong. And what was it that happened? Well, I love the illustration from the book entitled The Smell of Sin. Don Everts tries to capture the essence of what happened in the Garden of Eden with his words. He writes this, Imagine you're at home visiting your parents when one morning you're awakened by the aroma of coffee and bacon. That's a good start to any day. Downstairs, your family is gathered around a table with all your favorites. Eggs with cheddar cheese, bacon and sausage, fresh fruit, pancakes. They're chatting and smiling, and your dad puts down his paper and calls you over to have a seat. Then you see your mom closing the oven and turning around with a fresh pan of cinnamon rolls in her hand. With a quick smile and a wink, she sets the pan right next to you. It's the best breakfast you can remember, and you stuff yourself. Afterwards, you wipe your mouth, you get up from the table, you walk right up to your mom, and you spit directly in her face. And spit drips down her face, her eyes closed, her mouth open in disbelief as she pulls up her apron to wipe the spit away. 
I mean, the story of everything is really a story of Adam and Eve with all they could ever want and all they could ever need, walking right up to the face of God and spitting directly at Him. You know, and what they did, we, we all have done. We all continue to do with our actions in our lives every single day. I mean, it's about me and mine. It's about saying, God, you know, I, I don't want you to be at the center. I, I want what I want to be at the center. I, I know best. You know, it's about me and mine. It's not an us and our kind of a deal here. I mean, the story of everything, God tells us that we live in a world broken by sin. Because here's how it, it ends up happening. As Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, God said, let us, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man, make woman in our own image. And so in the very beginning, we believe that God created man and he created woman. And he created us in his image. All right, but what's happened because of sin, because of the sin in the Garden of Eden, what's literally happened is these boundaries of sorts have developed between man and woman, between you and me, and between God. And now there's this great space, there's this great gap in our relationship, or our desire to have a relationship with God. And the things that we do, we, we can try all we want. We can try to achieve perfection. We can go to church all we want, and we can make every attempt that we can to restore, to reestablish that right relationship with God or what was supposed to be a right relationship with God. But the truth is, the message is, the message that we want to proclaim is that Jesus Christ is the only one that can restore that relationship between you and me and God. And unless you're willing to invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, to invite him into this relationship, we can't have a relationship with God. It's impossible. We, we can't do it on our own. But Jesus has provided a way back, a way back for you and I to have this relationship with him. And, and so, you know, sin isn't so much about breaking laws or breaking rules or breaking regulations. Again, it's about this broken relationship and only Jesus can provide that way back. Now, if you're taking notes, uh, sin is something that seems good and desirable and making it a God substitute. Uh, the Bible has a word for that type of trade-off. The Bible says uh, the word idol, I-D-O-L. Now, one of my all-time favorite television shows, every time I read the word idol, uh, one of my all-time favorite television shows, not American Idol, is the Brady Bunch. And uh, I used to come home from school every day, you know, even in middle school, and I ain't going to lie, once in a while in high school, and I'd flip on the Brady Bunch. And uh, I just loved watching all of the reruns uh, of the Brady family. And so when I hear the word idol, I think of that one episode where the Bradys all went to Hawaii together. Did you see that episode? You know, Mike had the business trip. They all went along. Peter is kind of uh, doing some exploring around the work site one day, and he finds the little tiki statue. All right, that little evil statue, you know, he finds, he ends up making a necklace out of it. He puts it around his neck, and every time the camera zooms in on it, do you remember what it does? It goes, -na 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 -na. you know, it just all that comes to this little tiki statue. And, and, and so all these bad things start happening, you know. Uh, uh, Greg almost dies in a surfing accident, and whatever decoration that was on their motel room wall fell and, and almost landed on Bobby or something like that. I can't remember. And that was the same episode where Bobby left a trail of popcorn, you know, as they were going to that so they could find their way back, but all centered around the tiki statue and how evil this little idol was. And, and, you know, so we think whenever we hear the word idol that it's like this evil little statue that you see in the Brady Bunch. But idols aren't statues. And the irony of it all is that most of the time, idols are good things. You know, those things that become idols in our life are really 
They're good things. They're good things of this world that we allow to become number one in our life. We allow them to become the center. We allow them to become the priority to take first place in our life over over God. I mean, it could be money. I mean, money in and of itself is not evil. The manipulation and the misuse of money is evil. Marriage, a career, you know, your kids. You know, each of these things, sex and food and even football, they are gifts from God for us to enjoy, blessings for us to enjoy. But when they become first, when they take center, when they become priority in our life, it's sin. And when we elevate these things in our life and we allow them to take front and center before God, they become like a tree of life that Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden. Romans chapter 1, verse 25 tells us what exactly it was that Adam and Eve did. Why, what, what did they do here? It says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. I mean, think about all of the wrong things that people do today that we commonly call sin. You know, aren't they all done in pursuit of what we crave and what we desire and want to worship instead of God? You know, for example, people lie, you know, people cheat, people are willing to steal and even kill, and not because they are simply bad people who enjoy doing bad things, but sometimes the lying, the cheating, and the stealing is done in order to help them keep what they want to keep. What, what, what's the little idol that they wear around their neck? You know, I mean, the, the money, the fame, the power, the approval, the sexual gratification. It's about maintaining those things and keeping the, those things at the center of their life. I mean, take sex outside of marriage, for example. Let, let's just talk about that for a second. I mean, the Bible teaches that sex is a gift from God. Amen and praise Jesus for that, you know. It's a gift, the Bible says. The Bible, the story of everything, teaches that it is a gift to be shared by one man and one woman in marriage. And so when a couple engages in sex outside of marriage, the sin isn't the fact that Rule 4.1-2.A or whatever was broken. That's not the sin. I mean, what's at the very heart of the matter here? It's an individual who willfully and willingly says, you know, God, your plan and your design is not best for me. I'm going to take it all into my hands. It's what I want and what I need. I mean, you're way too old-fashioned for me in this. I am going to willingly put my needs at the very center, at the very first of my life. More than you, we intentionally do what we want. We do what we desire. And when this happens, something else other than God takes front and center in our life. And anything that takes priority over God, anything that moves to center in our life other than God is sin. I'll say it again. Anything that takes priority over God in your life is sin. Let me illustrate this. Got a little art project here. That I was working on. My wife helped me. And uh, I forgot to rearrange it after the first service, so bear with me here for a second. But let's just assume for a moment that this target represents your life. Okay? And everything that is absolutely important to you, this target. Now, God, his desire, and he's a pretty selfish God, is that he goes front and center. That's what God wants from each of us. He wants to be at the very center of our life. He wants to have a relationship with us because he is a God of love. He wants to share that love with you and me. He wants to be at the center. That's what he demands for us. But here's what happens when we sin. We we take things like our career. 
You know, we, we take our career, for example. In and of itself, career's a great thing. Provide for your family, give you something to do, use your gifts, you know, hopefully to make life better for someone. But when we put our career at front and center, you know, when we make the, our career the very center of everything we are, we, we take a chance of damaging our family, our children, you know, some of your friendships or whatever, definitely your marriage. And uh, if career doesn't go as planned, you know, we're down a path to devastation and possibly destruction. You know, for many people, career becomes the very center of your life, especially if you're a man. Men are more prone in this area to make career the very center of everything you do, even before God. For some people, it's money. For a lot of people, it's money. Uh, I, I think even for a lot of people who proclaim to be followers of Jesus, again, nothing wrong with money in and of itself. But when we put money at the very center of our life, it leads to jealousy. It leads for, for wanting more. It leads to pride. We're trying to keep up. And, and for many people, money is at the very center of everything that you are. That's your drive. That's your motivation. Uh, for some people, yeah, it could be a relationship. It could be a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And when we put our girlfriend or a boyfriend uh, at the very center of your relationship or your life, you can become emotionally dependent, jealous. Uh, it's easy to fall into the trap of, of kind of uh, compromising some of your values. You know, it's easy to fall into sexual sin. But for many people, a girlfriend or a boyfriend can become the very center of your life. Even children. I know it seems a little hard to believe, but even our kids can take first seat in our life. And if you put everything that you have into your kids, you know, and you make them the first priority, priority that, that can become unhealthy. You know, and chances are that your kids can learn uh, to resent you, but we can put kids before God. Or how about approval? You know, we just say, hey, in all matters, in all situations, you know, I, I want to come out on top. I want everyone to like me. And so we won't say the difficult things to the people that we love because we're all about finding approval. You know, I just, I want everyone to like me. Or, you know, maybe for some it's pleasure. You know, and we can get addicted to pleasure. And uh, it, it can be a very private matter, you know, something that, that people don't know about. But you can get addicted to it, and it can ruin you. Um, even the same could be said for religion. Uh, your church could become your priority in life, even over God, your relationship with God. We, that, that can become sin for us or trying to achieve a certain level of living so that people will look up to you and not shame you. And then when you fall or you mess up, I mean, it's devastating. But sin can become our priority. But all along the way, you know, God keeps saying, no, I want to be first. I want to be in the very center of your life. That's what God wants. I mean, whenever anything, anything besides God takes center in your life, it's sin. Whenever anything... But God takes the center of your life, it's sin. And, and we can make all of these things the center of our life. And, and we can end up living the illusion that if I can just achieve this, or I can just achieve that, or, or maybe this, then I'll truly be happy. But the problem is that nothing but God ever completely satisfies. I mean, you go seeking fulfillment and purpose and money or in your career, I can promise you that you'll be left with a feeling of, of, of emptiness and, and having not achieved. I mean, w enter into the picture, picture now, Satan, and we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about Satan, but, but he is the great tempter. He, he's the great deceiver in all of this. He, he knows how to wave those appealing idols. He, he knows which one's yours, and, and maybe yours isn't up here, but he knows it. And, and the Bible says that he is this liar, 
okay, that he is full of lies, that he's a lion that, that drags us away, you know, so that we, uh, we can be devoured. And while he's this great liar, he makes these promises and promises that offer great appeal. Watch this illustration from the uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Drink fire. How did you do that? I can make anything you like. Can you make me taller? <laughs> anything you'd like to eat. Turkish delight? to meet the rest of your family. Why? They're nothing special. Oh, I'm sure they're not nearly as delightful as you are. But you see, Edmund, I have no children of my own. And you are exactly the sort of boy who I could see one day becoming Prince of Narnia. Maybe even King. Really? Of course, you'd have to bring a family. Oh, do you mean Peter would be king too? No, no, no. But a king needs servants. Uh, I guess I could bring. Beyond these woods, you see those two hills? My house is right between them. You'd love it there, Edmund. It has whole rooms simply stuffed with Turkish delight. Couldn't I have this small now? No! Don't want to ruin your appetite. Besides, you and I are going to be seeing each other again very soon, aren't we? I hope so. Your Majesty. Until then, dear one. And Satan's role is that he can make it all look so good. You know, and he just keeps saying, hey, anything but God. You know, make anything but God the center of your life. For Edmund, it was the Turkish delight. But what is it for you? I mean, just you make this your life for a second. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe your priorities on here. But what is it that usually finds first and center in your life other than God? I mean, the dangerous thing about it being something like pleasure is that, you know, there's never enough. And we can become addicted to it and it can really lead down a path of destruction to the point that you're willing to sell your soul or to give up things that you would never have imagined giving up because this is at the center and it was never meant to be that way. God was meant to be the center and the craziest part of all of this, again, is that as we fall into sin, we wind up making some of God's greatest gifts and blessings to us into our gods. Anything that we allow to become the center of our life other than God is sin. Another thing about the story, about the story of sin, the effects of sin go way beyond what they do to us as individuals. 
In the story of everything, humans were given dominion over all of creation when Adam and Eve turned to God. And from that point on, all hell literally broke loose. Disease, genetic disorders, famine, natural disasters, you know, aging, even death, all results of sin. The Bible says that in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, Paul's, Paul writes, For the creation was subjected to frustration. That's the result of sin. That creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Subject to frustration. Now in verse 21, it goes on to say that since then the world, since sin entered the world, the world has been in bondage to decay. Again, all the result of sin, all the result of a broken relationship with God. And the world will not be right again until we are all right with God. You know, sin is not about restrictive regulations and and breaking rules again. Sin is about a world that is suffering because we made something that isn't God into our God. Sin is what went wrong with the world, including the physical world. Now, why do we need to know this? Well, it all adds up to show us that sin is real. And and that's what I want you to see today also this morning, that sin is real. Sin is not just some hyper-religious, old-fashioned word that we're going to do away with. Sin is the problem of the world. Sin is my problem and sin is your problem. It's not a problem to be solved by following rules or trying harder or cleaning up your act or becoming a better person. Sin is a relational problem. It's what we illustrated here in the very beginning. Sin is the relational problem that exists between God and between his people, between you and me, except for Jesus. And if you've invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, we we have this relationship now with God. We've been perfected by Christ. And when God sees us, he literally sees Jesus, as the Bible tells. But sin is the problem with the world. It's not just some old-fashioned word. It's a relational problem. And so I can follow the rules and I can clean up my act all I want, that I can even join the Peace Corps, all right, but still not have God at the center of my life. But if you want to deal with the problem of sin in your life, and even if you don't like the word, you have to be willing to deal with another word that's just as unpopular. It's the word repent. R-E-P-E-N-T. Repent. And when we hear repent, we think it means to to feel really, really bad or to feel really, really sorry for what we've done. It's promising to never do it again because we don't want to make God mad or something, right? That's wrong. That's not what the word repent means. The, The Bible was copied down into two languages. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. I want to give you two words for repent to help us better understand what it means to repent, to turn from sin. And In the New Testament, the Greek word is the word metanoia. It's the word metanoia. And it means a complete change of direction. To repent means to change the direction that you're going. It means to be heading one way and to turn 180 degrees and head back in the right direction. It's not a word about cleaning up your act or feeling sorry. It's about changing course. It's changing direction and going the other way. I mean, you want to tell me you're really sorry? Show me. You know, I I think that's what God wants to say to us. You know, our kids will say to us all the time, you know, I'm sorry. Okay, now show me then. Show me that you're sorry. It's about changing direction. It's about turning and going back the other way. I am repenting of the sin in my life. I don't want to live in this direction any longer. It's not that I just am tired of the guilt. It means I, I don't want this for my life. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to head in the other direction in order to make God first and center. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word was toshuva. And this word means to return, but I like this part, to go back where you belong. 
it means that we have wandered so far from where we belong. And the word toshiva, the Old Testament word for repentance, means to turn around and to go back to where you should be, where you ought to be, where we were created to be. It's about returning to him. Metanoia, toshiva, it's repentance. It's turning around and going back in the right direction. And I wonder, how many of you here this morning need to experience repentance in your life right now? I mean, you've been going in the wrong direction for a while now, and you're a Christian, and it's genuine. I mean, you've put your trust in Jesus. Uh, You put your trust in Him when you were in high school, and it's been a few years now or many years now. But you know that over these last years, you know, while God's a part of your life, while God's in the picture, He's not front and center anymore. And, And right now in your life, you know, maybe... Maybe money is what you're all about. I mean, God's in the picture. No doubt about it. He's there. You gave your life to Jesus Christ, and it has been sealed. I mean, you are loved. You are forgiven by Him. But, but money's at the center of your life. And so God's in the picture, but he, He's not the priority in your life right now. You know, or maybe it's not money. Maybe it is a career. You know, maybe it is the kids. Maybe it is approval. I mean, the truth is that all these things, again, were, were, were meant to be in some way, shape, or form a part of our life but they weren't meant to be at the center. And repentance for you as followers of Jesus is saying, you know what, God, I don't want that for myself anymore. I want you to be at the very center of my life. I want you to be my absolute priority. And maybe that's where you are today. And maybe that's decision, the decision that you need to make. You know, or maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so, you know, as you look at your life, I mean, there are all these other things that, that cloud your life, that, that become priority and important to you. But the fact is that God is out, outside of you right now. I mean, he, you, you've never invited him to be the Lord of your life. You haven't asked him to be a part of the picture. But it's time to turn around. It's time to go back in another direction and make God the center of your life. Jesus tells a story that many call the greatest short story of all time. And in this amazing story, a son rejects his father and all of the promises and and heads off to a faraway land where he centers his life on everything but God, anything that he wants, uh, money and sex and drugs and gratification. I mean, you name it. In this story, in Luke 15, he gets whatever he wants, but it leaves him empty and desperate. And at the lowest point of his life, look what happens in Luke chapter 15, verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses. Maybe some of you are coming to your senses this morning, realizing that something is not right in my life right now. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. I will turn around and I will go back in the right direction toward my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of the hired men. Another translation says he he got up and returned to his father. Look at these next words, verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the great picture here in this story is of a father who had never given up on his son. 
waiting each day for his son to return. I love that picture of the father didn't wait for him to come to the porch and fall to his knees and beg for forgiveness. We see a picture of a loving father who goes running towards his son. I mean, the father was overwhelmed at the sight of his son coming back to him. And then the Bible tells us that when the son returned, there was a big celebration. There was a big party for his return. His, his repentance was all about, this son's repentance was all about saying, the direction I'm heading isn't the direction I should be going in. I'm ready to go home. And here in Luke 15, this picture that Jesus paints for us, this is what God has been up to ever since sin entered the story. The story of everything it is a story of rescue. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of repentance. It's a story of a God who's waiting on the porch of his home, waiting for you to return to him. And Jesus makes that possible. Jesus makes that possible. You know, I, I don't know if you realize this or not, but, but God is pursuing you. With every page of your life, every, every line written, as the story said, God's pursuing you. And, and we even, even with all the bad choices you make, whether, whether you like to believe them or take them seriously or not, you know, we do them. Our, our tendency is to put other things in the center where God rightfully belongs. And so it may sound a little old-fashioned, but the question that I want to leave you with this morning is this one. I wonder if you need to repent this morning. I mean, I know that I need to make repentance a part of my life. To ask God for forgiveness. To turn from the direction that I'm heading and go back in the right direction. I mean, I wonder how many of you need to repent this morning. I mean, let, let, just let me talk to you that, that are Christians, that are followers of Jesus this morning. You, you've professed that with your life. I mean, what is it right now that has taken front and center in your life? Do you know what it is? I mean, you might know. I mean, it might be screaming at you right now. Approval. Pleasure. Money. Career. And, and the fact is that while any of these may have crept into the center, I mean, God, again, He's still been a part of the picture. He's, he's a part of your life. But maybe repentance for you this morning is for you to say with your own mouth, God, I want you right back in the center. God, I want to I turn. I want to head back in the right direction. And, you know, I mean, these other things can find their rightful place in our life if and only when we allow God to be at the center. But some of you today, God's outside of it all. God doesn't force His love upon us. The freedom that He gives to you and me is that He allows us to make the decision whether we want to receive His love or not. And for some of you, and maybe this is your first time, maybe you've been coming for a while, you've been going through the motions for a long time, but you know that God's out, He's outside of, of your life. And maybe for you this morning, repentance is about saying, did it fall? <laughs> God will not fall, all right? He will not let you down. But it's saying, God, will you be the center of my life? And you can do that today. That's the great thing about it. That's what the gift that God offers to us in Jesus.
And if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that we're all about helping people find their way back to God. And, and the funny thing about that is sometimes people will say, what in the world does that way back stuff mean, you know? I even wondered it for a while myself. But boy, it, it, it's so clear that everything that was intended to be in the very beginning, which sin has created this great separation, and Jesus Christ, through his cross, offers us a way back to God. He offers us that relationship to him. That's what we're about. I mean, the villain of the story, sin, you know, puts this distance between God, but Jesus has provided a way back. And the good news is that like the father in the story in Luke chapter 15, he he never gives up on us. He's waiting. He's patient. Our God refuses to give up on us. So here's my question to you. Are you ready to come back to him? Are you ready to come back to him? You know, are you ready to make God the center of your life? I mean, one of the first times the story of everything was ever told, it was before a huge crowd of people. And after the story was told, kind of like the prodigal son where it says he came to his senses. The Bible says that this group of people in Acts chapter 2, after they heard the message that Peter preached, they were cut to the heart. There was something that didn't feel right in the inside. Some sort of siren going off saying, something isn't right in my life. I need to change direction and I need to go back to my right place. And maybe that's where you are today. And you're asking, what in the world do I do now? And Peter's response to those people is my response to you this morning. In Acts chapter 2, verse 30, he says, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And 3,000 people came home that day. So how about you? Are you ready to make God the center of your life, to make him your absolute priority? And if you're thinking, okay, what do I do now? My response to you is this. Repent and be baptized. Come on back and we'll celebrate. We'll throw a party with you. Let's pray. With our eyes closed, I want to talk just for a moment with those of you who are followers of Jesus. You know God, you've given your life to him. But maybe this morning there's this kind of this screaming reality that something isn't right. There's something in your life right now that you know is taking front and center before God. It's your idol. It's your sin. And maybe it's pleasure, maybe it's a career, maybe it's money, maybe it's fear, maybe it's just control. I think there's a good chance you probably know what it is. And if you're ready to repent this morning and say, God, I I want you to be front and center. I can't do this alone. Why don't you just tell God right now in your own space, God, here's what it is. Here's what's standing in, in the way of of a greater, deeper relationship with you. Ask God to forgive you.
as a tired traveler this morning, allow, allow yourself to just fall into the arms of a father who says, welcome back. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Yea, God. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And still with every head bowed and eye closed, I mean, you're here today and you know that you've never made a decision. You never have put your trust in Jesus Christ. You've never invited him to be the Lord of your life. Are you ready to make him front and center? He is a God of love. He is love. He's offered us a way back to the way that things are supposed to be through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a free gift to you. Would you like to make that decision in your life this morning? If so, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. You don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to stand up or raise your hand or anything. Just say this prayer right from where you are in your own space. Lord Jesus, I need you. I realize I can't do it on my own. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of my life today. Take center in my life. And make me into the person you want me to be. God, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that he is our way back. And we celebrate him in here today, every day. Not just on Sundays, but every day of our life. We celebrate Jesus and what he has done for us. God, God, thank you for, for not allowing us to hang out there on our own, to try and figure it out, but continually pursuing us, God, waiting graciously to welcome us back. And I thank you in advance today, Lord, for, for decisions and recommitments that are happening here in this room. And I just pray, God, that we would be motivated as we head out this door to head in a new direction with you at the front and center of our life, God. And we pray that as we trust in you, that you will pave our paths so that we will know where to go. It's in Jesus' name we celebrate all these things. Amen. Here's what I'd like to ask you to do this morning. If, if you made a decision to put your trust in Jesus Christ, you've never done that before, will you tell someone? Uh, we'll, we'll have a group of people up front here after the service. Uh, you can tell a staff member. You can write it on your connection card. You can send us an email or give us a call or, or talk to the person who you came with, who invited you today. Just don't go without sharing it with someone. We, we would love to talk with you more and more about what it means to follow Jesus, talk to you about baptism. We're going to have a great baptism service here at our church on Easter Sunday, a little less than two months from now. We'd love for you to be a part of that. But uh, we'll, help, we'll help you find a way to help show you back uh, to, where, to where we believe that God wants us all to be. Uh, we're just all forgiven by Him, uh, none perfect. Uh, we're going to sing this song, Jesus, Lord of Heaven. I, I realize it might be a new song for you. Uh, my, my prayer for you, uh, my challenge to you is that you'll read these lyrics uh, and hear these in your heart this morning.